Let's pray. Father in heaven, even as we sung, we ask that you, by your spirit, would be amongst us this evening to bless us by your word, to make our minds ready to receive, our hearts ready to rejoice in, and our bodies ready to apply your word. And may you sanctify your people in the truth, even as our Lord prayed. We ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Turn with me to our sermon text this evening, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you're using a chair Bible, that's page 909. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Again, let us give our full attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. May God bless his word. Sometimes we can consider certain passages to be a foreign ground to us. We read passages like this and we can think to ourselves, maybe not fully consciously, but in the back of our minds we think, isn't this the territory of the Pentecostals? After all, it's about Pentecost. What are we as Reformed Christians to do with a passage like this? If we read it, if we wrestle with its meaning, will we become Pentecostal? Will the session move to encourage the speaking of tongues to break out in the midst of our services if we take this passage seriously. As we come to this passage, I want to encourage you to see the significance of this event as indispensable for the doctrine and life of the church. It's in the Reformed tradition that the importance of the Holy Spirit was recovered. B.B. Warfield described John Calvin as preeminently the theologian of the Holy Spirit. 
the Reformed system of doctrine and the Reformed interpretation of the Scriptures will show us the monumental significance of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit for the church today. So if I were to attempt to distill the major point expressed in this text, it would be something like this. Jesus sending the Holy Spirit means he is making you the new creation temple and the new Israel. Throughout the event of Pentecost, there are echoes of the Old Testament. These echoes are echoes of new beginnings, similar to uh, what I said this morning about the ascension. The Spirit makes all things new. He brings the fruition of Christ's work in his death and his resurrection. He brings newness in the sense of fulfillment. The audible and visible signs at Pentecost highlight the significance of the Holy Spirit's arrival. The coming of the Spirit is accompanied by a sound that filled the entire house. Luke describes the sound, comparing it to a mighty rushing wind. And that that term wind could be translated breath. This is the same term used in the Greek translation of Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. On the sixth day of creation, God comes to the climax of his creative work. He forms man from the dust of the ground. But that is not all. The Lord breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life. And only then is man constituted as a living creature made in the image of his creator. And so as these followers of Jesus are gathered in one place, a wind, a breath is breathed out upon him, upon them. It's not a mere breeze. It is a mighty rushing wind. The spirit comes in power to impart new life. This is not the same life that Adam had by that first breath. This is the life Christ has by his resurrection, by his spirit. Jesus breathes out this second breath upon his people and constitutes them as part of the new creation. In addition to the sound of the wind, divided tongues appear upon them. And these divided tongues are described as fire that rested on each one of them. And don't miss the significance of fire. Remember when God met with his people in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 verse 18 describes what they saw upon the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Consider the end of Exodus, which I read earlier in the service. Exodus 40, verse 38. As the tabernacle has been constructed, God's presence fills it to meet with his people. And the text says, The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night. You see, fire marked out God's presence and purifying power. But now, as the Spirit comes to rest upon each one of those who follow Jesus... Every one of the disciples is marked by what we could call a miniature pillar of fire. The Spirit, you see, brings the presence of God to rest on each and every one of His people. So, 
Look at the phenomena here of Pentecost. A rushing wind filling the house. Tongues of fire resting upon each one. What what is going on here? The Holy Spirit makes God's people into the new creation temple. Adam received the first breath, but Adam failed to impart the second breath. Christ, however, has been raised, receiving the life that Adam failed to attain. Jesus is now equipped with the Holy Spirit, and therefore he is the one who imparts the second breath to raise you with him unto resurrection life. If you have trusted in Christ, you have become part of the new creation. Ezekiel 37 paints a a vivid uh, illustration for us. God brings his prophet to this valley filled with dry, dead bones. Ezekiel is called then to prophesy to the Spirit, and, uh, and the breath of the Spirit entered these bones. And what was then once a dead pile of dry bones, by the power of God's breath, the Spirit of Christ, they are made to live. Well, we were dead in Adam. Spiritually, we were that dead pile of dry bones. But when Christ powerfully breathes upon his church by his spirit, you are made alive. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation. Not only are you a new creation in Christ, you have become a new creation temple. God's presence descended on Sinai in fire. His presence rested upon the tabernacle in fire. At one time, we were alienated from God's presence. But through the finished work of Christ, God not only comes near, but he makes his home within you. By the Spirit, you are made a tabernacle, a temple of the true and living God. The Spirit comes to rest upon each and every one united to Christ. And and therefore, Paul in the New Testament calls us as individual Christians to flee from sin because the Spirit dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, Paul sees the connection with the Old Testament presence of God Upon the tabernacle in fire, with the purifying presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, empowering you to pursue personal holiness. Paul also speaks corporately of the Spirit's presence. Joined together as a body of believers, the Spirit tabernacles among us. Ephesians 2, verse 22. In him you also, that is, you all, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you individually, but also you collectively, are the temple of the living God by the Spirit. Do you see the significance, or at least beginning to see the significance of the coming of the Spirit? This is just really the surface of the redemptive historical fulfillment that the Spirit brings to the church, and this is the fulfillment that you partake of in Christ by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you a new creation temple, but there is more 
than just a sound and divided tongues of fire. There is one other sign that accompanies the Spirit's coming, and, and this sign is the, really the focus of the majority of our passage, verses 4 through 11. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the Spirit gives them utterance to speak in other tongues. Consistently, Luke will describe believers as filled with the Holy Spirit when they uh, speak or preach about Jesus. Well, that's what's happening. The believers are filled with the Spirit. They're enabled to speak in other tongues. Now, some suppose that the tongues are uh, some kind of ecstatic speech, which is devoid of all engagement of mind or body, kind of like a trance of sorts. Uh, others would suggest that the believers are speaking in angelic tongues. Uh, but these interpretations in no way fit what the text is saying. These are real languages they are speaking. Verse 8 describes them as dialects or native languages. This is real communication of the gospel in languages that people actually speak and understand. Remember the context in which this is happening. Pentecost was one of the three Jewish pilgrimage feasts. And so the scattered Jews of the diaspora have traveled to Jerusalem. People from all corners of the world have gathered together. The list in verses 9 and 10 is a comprehensive picture of the Mediterranean world. And at the sound of this mighty rushing wind and and these tongues of fire that have appeared, these people have gathered around and the believers speak to them in their native languages. If you've visited a country that speaks a foreign language, uh, you know what it's like to be surrounded by those who don't speak your native language. Uh, Even if you're in a crowded place, it can feel sometimes lonely, isolating. But as soon as you hear someone speaking in your native language, especially if they have a Jersey accent, you feel as if you are home. Even if you could fluently speak that foreign language, if you hear your native tongue, it brings you home. Well, hear the believers filled with the Holy Spirit speak in the native dialects of all these people visiting Jerusalem. And in a sense, we could say they bring home the gospel to those who hear it. Notice how the people react. They hear their their own home language and they're bewildered. Verse 6. It can also be translated, they were confounded. That's an interesting word choice for Luke. In, In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that same word bewildered or confounded is used in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11 is the account of Babel. And there the people came together for the glory of their own name, and God judged them by confounding their speech and scattering them all over the face of the earth. At Pentecost, what we see happening is the curse of Babel being reversed. People from all over the world are gathered together And no longer hindered by diverse languages, they hear the gospel. The Spirit is equipping the church to gather all peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation to glorify God with one voice. The Spirit, notice, doesn't erase distinct languages 
but the Spirit enables the church to make known in every language, to every people group, the message of Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. It's not by coincidence that the calling of Abraham is recorded in Genesis chapter 12, the chapter right after Babel. Through Abraham's seed, God promised to bless all the nations of the earth. Well, now gathered together in Jerusalem are Abraham's offsprings that were, that were scattered around the world, but with them are proselytes, Gentile converts to Judaism. Here the exiles are returning gathered together, becoming part of the true Israel by faith in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the Spirit not only reverses Babel, but it also gathers the true offspring of Abraham to hear the gospel, to hear, as Luke writes, the mighty works of God through Jesus Christ. And so the coming of the Spirit gathers the church as the new Israel, not based on biological descent from Abraham, but based on faith in the promised son of Abraham. The gospel transcends ethnic groups, places, and cultures, and even languages. The new Israel is united not according to any earthly demographic. The new Israel is one united household in the Holy Spirit, united in Christ for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit makes you the new creation temple. The Holy Spirit gathers you as the new Israel. And thirdly, the coming of the Holy Spirit means that Christ has been raised and is ruling. Peter preaches a sermon following the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the final two verses of our passage, in a sense, set the stage for his sermon. Verses 12 and 13 describe the significance of these events. Um, we see two groups Uh, Two uh, different reactions to these audible and visual signs. One group completely dismisses these events. They mock a response that Jesus himself received by many. These mockers assert that the believers are filled not with the Holy Spirit, but with wine. It makes no sense based on the data in the text. They are not mumbling gibberish. They're not slurring their words like a drunk man. They are speaking real languages that others understand in their native tongue. This mocking is simply a dismissal of the truth in unbelief. The other group, however, is amazed and perplexed. They, they see and they hear these signs and they know that something significant has happened, but they don't really know what that is. And so they ask, what does this mean? This question is incredibly important. In fact, the passage is causing us to ask the same question. What is going on here? What does all of this mean? Let's take a look again at our passage as a whole this time. Notice in verse 2 that the sound of the mighty rushing wind breath comes from heaven. In chapter 1, this is where Jesus has ascended. And from heaven... 
we now see that he is the one who pours out his spirit upon his people. Peter affirms this in his sermon. If you look ahead to verse 33, Peter says this, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, that is Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Notice what Peter Peter is saying. By virtue of His resurrection... And by virtue of his ascension into heaven, Jesus has received for himself the fullness of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And now he graciously and abundantly pours out the Spirit upon his church. To put it another way, the church's experience mirrors Jesus' experience. What Jesus has received, he gives to his people. He received the Spirit at his baptism to equip him for his mission. He has accomplished his work perfectly through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the Father has given him the Spirit to pour out on his people so that the church might accomplish her mission to be Christ's witnesses. Let's ask the question again. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is risen. It means that Jesus has ascended. It means that Jesus is reigning in heaven at the right hand of his Father. It means that he is still working mightily in his church by his Spirit. But what does it mean for you? What should you expect today? Should you expect these audible and visual signs? Well, the short answer is no. The focus of this text is not on personal experience. Instead, the focus of these audible and visual signs is the fulfillment of prophecy. The focus is upon the climax of salvation history. The focus is upon the inauguration of the new creation in Christ and his spirit. Pentecost, we could consider it a a once-for-all event with significance for the church today. Think of it like the crucifixion or the resurrection of Christ. These were once-for-all events. They are unrepeatable, and yet they are incredibly significant for your faith today. In the same way, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was a historical event that still has significance for every believer in the church The audible and visible signs need not be repeated again because they have once for all signaled the climactic coming of the Spirit. The Spirit's coming certainly has lasting effects for you, the church. All that these signs pointed to is still true for you in Christ. By the Spirit... Christ has breathed upon you the breath of eternal life, constituting you as the new creation. By the Spirit, Christ dwells in you as his holy temple, and together you are being built into a living temple for God's presence. By the Spirit, the curse of Babel is being reversed as the church is faithful to her mission, gathering people from every tribe, tongue, and nation for the single purpose of glorifying God. 
By the Spirit, you have, you have become the new Israel through Jesus Christ, Abraham's seed through whom blessing has come to the nations. By the Spirit, the risen and reigning Christ continues to work in his church today. Brothers and sisters, may you see the significance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. May you be Pentecostal in the full, robustly biblical and reformed sense. Not seeking signs, but living in the new creation life the Spirit has brought and living as the gathered new Israel. May you see the significance of Jesus making all things new by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful and glorious gift which you and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has poured out upon his church. Father, may we see the significance of the Holy Spirit at work in your people, in us as individuals and as us corporately as a covenant community. And may we rejoice in the gracious blessings that you have given to us in the Spirit, that by that very Spirit we are united to Christ with an indissoluble bond. By that Spirit, we will now even commune with you by your Word, Spirit, and even in the sacrament we are about to observe. Thank you, our Lord and our God, for such a gracious gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.